In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, there are some parables of our Lord that are quite simple and straightforward, whereas there are other parables that are more complicated and difficult to understand. I think the parable that we have that I just read is one of the latter, the parables that are a bit more complicated and difficult to understand. I think what really makes today's parable difficult to understand is the fact that it has two parts. If it was just one part to the parable, I think the meaning would be quite straightforward for us. The fact that um, few people listen to the gospel. There's this invitation going out for people to come to the wedding feast, and a lot of people just are simply not interested. If the parable stopped there, we would easily understand it's a lesson about how few are willing to listen to the, to the preaching of the gospel. But then there is this second part um, that, that is difficult to explain, where, where there's someone who heeds the gospel, yet he's kicked out of the wedding feast. How, how do we account for this parable with, with the two parts? How do we fit everything together in this parable to draw a, a sort of a single meaning? So let me try to explain what, what seems to be the best understanding of this parable. It seems to be an example of an historical parable. Sometimes our Lord gives uh, a parable that represents a sequence of events that have happened over a period of historical time. So, first of all, you have the wedding feast that's being planned by a king for his son. Who's the king? The king is God, God the Father. And the son is our Lord Jesus Christ. He's having a marriage. Who's he marrying? He's marrying his bride. And if you read the New Testament, it's very clear who his bride is. The bride of our Lord is Holy Mother Church. Our Lord weds the church. This is the feast, the uh, nuptials that are being prepared by God with the incarnation of our Lord. This mystical union between Christ and his bride, the church. So God sends his only son to redeem mankind and when the Son comes, He establishes the church. He weds the church on the cross, and He invites all of mankind, all human beings, to become members of that church, and so, as a result, to become, as it were, um, children of that marriage, the fruit of that marriage, and really members of that new race of people. But before the wedding takes place, there's this long period of anticipation before the coming of our Lord. And God is already sending out messengers with invitations, just as we do today. Well before the marriage takes place, the couple is sending out invitations saying, we're going to have a wedding on this day, and I want you to be there. I want you to come to rejoice with me with this wedding feast. So in the, in the case of the parable, the um, there's a series of messengers. It's, this was one of the customs in, in ancient times uh, where you didn't just get one invitation, you got multiple invita invitations. There's a wave, different waves of, of invitations that would come to you. So there's, first of all, two rounds of uh, messengers that are sent to invite 
a set of people. Then after that, there's, there's a third round. So all up in the parable, there's three rounds of messengers to send out an invitation. The first two rounds, we may say, are, are sent to the working class, the middle class, and the upper class among the people. And the first round is sent out before the wedding takes place, sent out to uh, the, the, the workers and also the, the sort of um, mayors and, and, and upper class people. But the people, when they receive that invitation well before the, mar the marriage takes place, they refuse to come. They say, we can't make it. Then after that, there's a second invitation. The second invitation arrives on the very day of the wedding. And the messengers are able to say, everything's ready. The feast is prepared. Please come to this wedding feast. But again, they refuse. Um, those who are of the working class, the common people, the middle class, they just go about their daily business as farmers or merchants. They just continue what they're doing. Whereas the others, who seem to be the upper-class people, they mistreat the servants. And to such a degree that they end up killing the servants. And of course, this completely enrages the king, who sends his, who immediately, on, on that day, you know, he sends his soldiers to, to the town, um, where the rulers ha of the towns have killed his servants, and he burns their towns. That really marks the end of the first part of the parable. And the parable insofar as it concerns a certain class of people. So these first messengers are the prophets of the Old Testament and the first people invited were the people of Israel. The chosen people who had been set apart. They were like the middle class and the upper class among all the people in the Old Testament history. They received the call from God to make themselves ready for the time when the Messiah would come and his people should be a spouse to the Messiah in justice and righteousness and in love and in mercy. And they had many prophets predicting this and using the images of marriage, especially the prophet Osi, who was asked by God to, to engage in in a marriage in order to represent the relationship between God and his chosen people. At the time of our Lord, it's like there's a second wave of, of um, prophets, a second wave of invitations that come, and these prophets become more insistent. St. John the Baptist appears among the people of Israel just before our Lord comes, and then the apostles are preaching after the ascension of our Lord, calling the people of Israel to partake of a wedding feast that has already commenced. Because you, you, you don't just have to be there for the beginning. In ancient times, wedding feasts would, would go on for a long time. They would go on for, for well over a week. So if you, even if you don't make it for the first or the second day, you, know, you can still come. Um, there's still a possibility to go out and say, please, come to the wedding feast. So even at the time of the apostles, the, the people of Israel were being invited. They were being told, the Messiah has come. He's wedded his church. Please come to the wedding feast. As we know, when the people of Israel received this preaching, many among the, the common people paid no attention to the preaching and just went on with what they were doing. And really, this is what they continue to do to this day. 
were kind of still waiting for the Jews to come into the church, for the Jews to accept our Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah, and for them to accept the Catholic Church as the Bride of Christ. Meanwhile, the others, the leaders of the people of Israel, we know what they did. They took the prophets and they killed them. They, they, they took St. John the Baptist, they killed him. They, they took um, our Lord, they killed him. They took the apostles and they killed him. Um, they put St. John the Baptist to death. St. John the Baptist, as you know, preached to Herod. He was put to death by Herod. They put St. James to death. He was the first bishop of Jerusalem. They, they threw him down from, from the, the temple. They put St. Stephen to death. He preached before the Sanhedrin, before the, all the leaders of Israel, and they took him out and they stoned him. So by doing this, says our Lord in this parable, the first guests who were invited to the wedding prove themselves that they're unworthy of their invitation. If you do not accept this invitation, it's because you do not deserve the invitation. It's a sign you did not deserve that invitation. This is a type of invitation in the context of the parable where you are culpable if you refuse. It's an invitation, so you have to choose yourself to accept it, but if you don't accept, then you've chosen wrongly. You've done something bad. You've committed a, a crime. You've done, there's, there's something profoundly wrong with you if you do not accept this invitation from God. It's the invitation of the king himself. It's the invitation of the God who made us. And so refusing this invitation is to refuse God himself. Um, you, it's a refusal to be a creature of God. It's a refusal to accept the happiness that God has prepared for the human race. And if you don't accept that happiness, there really is no other happiness available for you because you have no power over God's reality. God owns reality. You can't manufacture it. You can't manufacture your own happiness. Only God can do that. So you either accept the invitation, you enter into happiness, you reject it, you enter into eternal sadness. In the parable, there's two punishments that result from the refusal of the people of Israel. The, the first punishment is the destruction of those who were first invited and the destruction of their city. And we know that this is exactly what happened with the Jews. After 40 years of them refusing to listen to our Lord and his messengers, the Roman army came and burned their city. And it's, it's terrible, as recounted by, by Flavius Josephus, this Jew who is uh, living at, at the time of our Lord, how blind the Jews were. They just would not give up. Even though they had the whole Roman Empire against them, they, they just would not surrender. They, they somehow were convinced that, that God would step in and deliver them. When God had abandoned them, they didn't realize it. Um, and so the, the whole city was utterly and totally destroyed in terrible fashion by Titus, and, and the, including the temple um, where the Israelites were pretending to be honoring the king after they rejected the king's son. So they were still performing these sacrifices in the temple, um, but they weren't really honoring God. And recall that our Lord is, is telling this parable to the Jews before any of this has happened. He's 
predicting to them what will happen if they do not listen to him and his apostles. It's a warning to them, and it's one of several places in the gospel where our Lord explicitly predicts the destruction of Jerusalem, the, the destruction that would happen, uh, his words would be fulfilled to the letter 40 years after his crucifixion. That's the first punishment. The second punishment for the rejection of the invitation is the invitation to the heathen nations. And this is what St. Paul speaks about. It's very mysterious in the choice of God, but it's almost like God decides to preach, have the gospel preached to the Gentiles once the Jews have rejected the gospel. And the, uh, the St. Paul says this to the Jews that, that this is, is a certain punishment to them um, because they won't accept this, this good word, then the apostles are wasting their time with them. And so what, what are the apostles going to do? They've been, they've been given this charge to preach the gospel. What are they going to do? They're wasting their time with the Jews? Well, we'll just go to the rest of the people. To you, says St. Paul, explicitly to the Jews. I mean, he's speaking straight to the Jews. To you, it behooved us first to speak the word of God, but because you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. You judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we turn to the Gentiles. So, then the, the messengers, because the middle class and the upper class are not coming to the wedding feast, they go out to the highways and the byways, those who had not been so privileged by the king, the Gentiles. And the result is instantaneous success. The Gentiles are very, very happy to come to the wedding feast. It seems to them to be an offer that is too good to be true. Imagine just standing in the street one day, having someone walk up to you and address you by your, by your name, Madame or, or Sir. You know, you've, you've been chosen by, by the royal family to be present at, at their wedding feast. They, they've chartered a, a private jet for you to take you to this wedding feast. Um, would you be willing to go to the wedding feast? And you would be like, Yes, yes, I'd be very, very happy. I can't, where is it? I mean, you, 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 you would be wondering if this is for real or not. You would not hesitate to accept. And the, and the Gentiles just flooded into the church when they received the invitation of the gospel from the apostles. The Gentiles filled up the wedding hall where the union between Christ and his church was being celebrated. They filled up the halls of the meeting places of the early church, the gatherings of the first Christians, by and large, were populated in, with the majority of Gentiles. So their getting into the wedding feast is an indication of their faith. They believe that Christ is the Messiah. They believe that the church is the true church, the bride of Christ. They believe that this is the way that they will save their souls and enter into the eternal wedding feast. But... And this is the important part for us to understand. And, and at this point, it's, it's, it's much easier for us to understand the rest of the parable. We see that, that those who are invited to come in are, represent the Gentiles. But just making it to the wedding feast, just accepting the invitation is not enough. To accept the invitation, you've got to have faith. But you don't necessarily have to have charity. 
You don't necessarily have to have the love of God in your heart. Perhaps you just want to be there to eat the food. Perhaps you're just there for the nice drinks. But you're not there out of love for the, the ones who are getting married, Christ and his bride. You're not there for the right reason. So you don't have the wedding garment on. It's not enough for us to believe in God. We also have to love God if we are to reach heaven. And at our baptism, you, I think we've, we've all been present at, at the, the beautiful ceremony that the church has for the baptism. And at the end, after the child is baptized, the church makes explicit reference to this parable by, by giving a white garment to the child. It said, receive this white garment. This is the wedding garment. Don't let it get dirty. Make sure that you keep this clean. And if you have it clean on the day that you die, you will enter the wedding feast that lasts forever. You will have the eternal wedding feast. You'll be a member of the eternal wedding feast. So this is exactly the offer that's being made by Christ to us Gentiles. We are not Jews, but by and large, perhaps some of you may have some Jewish blood, but most of us are, are uh, not Jews. We have embraced the faith, but we don't always live up to the faith. We made it to the wedding feast, but sometimes our wedding garment gets defiled, and it needs to be cleaned. It needs to be cleaned um, by the, the sacrament of confession. Um, we must keep it clean through the reception of the Eucharist, through our prayers and sacrifices, through all of our spiritual works. This is the work of our life. That the wedding garment that we received on the day of our baptism, we keep pure and undefiled. And if we have the misfortune of defiling it, that we restore it to its original cleanliness. And by means of, of these sacraments the church gives us, by our prayers and good works, the love of God remains in our heart, and it conquers the love of the world. So, we know that if we lose that wedding garment, if, if we defile it, then we lose our right to be at the wedding feast. And if the ministers of the king come on the day of our death, and they inspect our soul, they say, this soul does not have the wedding garment on. And there's only one thing that can happen. It's the exact same thing that happened to the man who was there. The man had nothing to say. He couldn't say anything. And they took his hands and his feet and they bound him. And they, they chucked him out. They kicked him out. And outside, it was darkness. And there was just the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. He was thrown into hell. Because it's not just Jews who reject the Messiahs that are found in hell. There are also Catholics in hell. Catholics who embrace the faith, but did not live up to the faith. These also are cast into the outer darkness. These also are participating in the eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth that takes place in the underworld. So, in short, there's really two lessons for this parable, which has two parts. First lesson is the history of the rejection of the Jews and the call of the Gentiles. And the second lesson is 
the lesson about the necessity of those who have been called into the church of living up to the faith. We who have been called and have accepted the invitation to come to the wedding feast, it's absolutely necessary that we live up to that faith, that we be present at the wedding feast for the right reason. It's not enough to be a member of the Catholic Church. We have to live according to what we believe or else it will do us no good. In fact, it will be worse for us. We saw this is what happened with the Jews. They had all these privileges, that these privileges turned against them when they rejected the Messiah. And it's the same for us Catholics. We have all these privileges, these incredible privileges, the Catholic Mass, the Eucharist, confession, the sacraments, all these great means to save our souls. But if we abuse them, it's all the worse for us. This parable is very beautiful because it teaches us that there is really only one bride of Christ, Holy Mother Church. Our Lord is not Muslim. He doesn't have a harem. He doesn't have multiple wives. He has a monogamous union. He has one bride alone. There's one bride, and there's one true religion, and there's one wedding feast for the union of Christ with his, with his bride. This wedding feast will continue until the end of the world, and then it will continue on into eternity forever and ever. Some will be at the wedding feast for eternity, but others will only be at the wedding feast for a short time, for some of the time of their life. But they will not be at the wedding feast forever. Of course, it's, it's our great desire that all of us here will be at that feast for eternity. But you have to keep your wedding, your wedding garment on you got to have the wedding garment on. Those who are bad, you know, the, the parable says that, that those who were brought into the wedding feast were both bad and good. And on the day of judgment, the bad are going to get kicked out. They're going to get kicked out of the wedding feast. Their presence at the wedding feast was only temporary. They are mingling with people. They're like, I love, love being here, you know. But at some point, they all, the waiters have to show up, and they're, they're like, hey, where, where's your card? Where, where's your wedding garment? You know? And then that's it. For those who remain in the state of grace, they will never leave the wedding feast. That's what heaven is. It's an eternal banquet. It's the banquet hall of God their king. We will celebrate the union of Christ and his church for all eternity if we are able to keep our wedding garment on. So in this parable, our Lord is exhorting us as Catholics to really treasure that gift of grace that he gives us. We must make sure not to lose that treasure of grace. Or if we have the misfortune of losing that grace, we must restore it as quickly as possible. So let us ask our, our guardian angels, who we will honor on Tuesday, and St. Michael, who we honored yesterday, ask them to help us, defend us in our daily battle, to maintain the state of grace, to maintain the life of God in our soul, let us try to um, aspire to keep our wedding garment as pure as possible. We can think about the garment of grace that Our Lady wore. What, what must have been the beauty of the soul of Our Lady? She was conceived in the state of grace. She never let herself be stained by sin in any way. We must beg her on, on a regular basis to help us remain in the state of grace especially at the hour of our death when hopefully we will enter into that 
everlasting wedding feast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.